I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy today, the passage Jordan read a moment ago. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. As you are turning to that passage of Scripture, I want to just mention to you that the title of our text today is, It is Time to Go Home. It's time to go home. There's something magical about home, isn't there, in some sense of the word? We've often said, and I believe it to be the case, no place like home. And really, there is no place like home, is there? If you've been away for an extended period of time and you have been living out of a suitcase and then have the opportunity to go home and to be reunited with family and friends and to be back in your familiar surroundings, you know what it means to just be at home. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we read about one of God's great servants, a man by the name of Moses. And in this chapter, really the setting that we have before us is about an old soldier that's on his way home. And so I want us to think about this idea today. It's time to go home. And I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, and I want to begin by talking about the observation of Moses, the lawgiver. And as you look at chapter 34... There are some things that are going to stand out in this text. And there are so many things that are, are applicable to us today as we strive to live the Christian life. So as we think about the observation of Moses the lawgiver, I want to begin by talking about the fact that God blessed him with the opportunity to view the land. And so look, if you would, in chapter 34, verses 1 through 4, and there are a couple of things that stand out with regard to, to God blessing Moses with the opportunity to view this land. Number one, it was a land of promise. And number two, it was a land of plenty or a land of prosperity. And the reason being because back in Numbers chapter 13, you remember God sent out 12 spies to survey the land. When they came back, 10 of those spies, after having looked over the land of promise, they said, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. So it was a land of plenty, a land of prosperity. In verse 1, the text says, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah. Now, the name Pisgah means a summit, or maybe a crown. Pisgah was the summit of Mount Nebo. And so here is Moses. He climbs this mountain, and God says it's across from Jericho. Jericho would have been to the west, somewhat to the northwest. And he said... And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, 
Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Let me just pause there. As you well know, back in Genesis chapter 12, God made some promises to Abraham, didn't He? One of the promises was, God said that through your posterity, all nations or all families of the earth are going to be blessed. But He made a a land promise to him. That promise really accentuated what we call Palestine, the land of Canaan. That land that flowed with milk and honey. So Moses, as he nears the end of life, God allows him, blesses him with the opportunity to view this land. But here's the interesting thing. God blocked him from visiting the land. He got to view it, but he was not able to visit the land that he so desired to see for himself. Listen now to what is recorded in verse 4. God said, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Why then was Moses prohibited or blocked from visiting the land? Well, let's just go back for a moment and look, if you would, with me at the book of Numbers in chapter 20. Now, you remember the children of Israel were disobedient after having come out of Egyptian bondage. When those 12 spies went out and surveyed the land, 10 came back and gave a favorable report. And they said, look, we are well able to go in and take the land. But there were 10 spies who were unbelievers. They did not feel like they had the manpower to go in and displace the Canaanite people. So they lacked faith, didn't they? As a result of that, God said, I will disinherit you in Numbers chapter 14, verse 12. That generation of people from 20 years old and upward were prohibited from entering the land of promise. So in Numbers chapter 20, they've been out wandering in the wilderness for about 38 years. And here's what the text says in Numbers chapter 20. There was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses, verse 3, and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So in verse 6, we find Moses and Aaron. The text says, They went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, and here's what He said. Take the rod, you and your brother, Aaron, Gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation of their animals. 
I think you would agree with me that that was a very concise and simplistic command, wasn't it? Take your rod, speak to the rock, and from that, water will yield. But note verse 9. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. So rather than speaking to the rock, the record says Moses struck the rock. Now what about the consequences? We talk about the fault of Moses. Because of this single act of disobedience, he forfeited any right to enter the promised land. Listen to what God said to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me, to hallow me or to regard me as holy in the eyes of the children of Israel, he said, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now you just think about that for a minute. One single act of disobedience. And God says to His servant, the one by whom the law has been given, the one by whom the children of Israel have escaped Egyptian bondage, they're on their, they are on the road to the land of Canaan. And yet because, because Moses disobeyed God, God said, you're not going into the land. Now here's what you need to understand. Moses desperately wanted to go into the land, didn't he? Go back and look with me, if you would, in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy, just very quickly. You ever wanted something so badly you could taste it? Has there ever been anything in your life that you have wanted so badly? I mean, you could, you, you could just almost... You'd almost give anything to have it. Sometimes there are things that we want so badly, it's almost as if we can taste it, but we can't get it. We, we can't, either we can't afford it, maybe it's off limits, maybe it's beyond our circumstances, our, our power, whatever. We want it, but we just can't get it. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, we have a record of Moses pleading with God. In verse 24, he said, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant, your greatness, your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And listen to what God said. God said to Moses, enough of that. Speak to me no more on this matter. And then He tells him to go up to Pisgah and lift up his eyes toward 
the west, the north, the south, the east, and to behold it, he said, with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. Moses wanted to go into the promised land so bad he could taste it, but God said, you're not going. Now look, we live in a country today, and I understand the blessings that we enjoy in this country, and we are blessed to have a constitution, and our constitution, those bylaws govern us. And there are certain laws on the books, and you know as well as I do, that there are times when the authorities that be will dismiss sometimes those who break or violate the law of the land. They'll turn an eye, they'll turn They'll turn a deaf ear to what's going on. They'll ignore it. They'll let people pass. Let me tell you what, that's not how God in heaven operates. In our country, we may, we may hold people to the law, we may dismiss the law. But when God says something, He means it. And that's something we need to understand. God doesn't play. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name cast out demons? In your name done many mighty works. And Jesus said, Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. What was the, pro what was the problem? A failure to obey God. Moses was prohibited from going into the promised land because he disobeyed God. Is it possible that some people will miss spiritual Canaan, heaven, because they've been disobedient to God? Yes. Do you remember John in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14? John closes the book of inspiration by saying, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. I get it. In our world today, we may or may not enforce certain laws. And that may be our prerogative, but I want you to know something. That's not how God operates. If it's on the books, He's going to uphold it. So number one, the observation of Moses. But then secondly, Let's talk about the termination of Moses. And note with me, if you would, pick up in verse 5, if you would. And let's talk about the tenure of Moses here upon planet Earth. First, we have a record of the brevity of his life. The Bible says in verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. The text tells us that Moses died at the age of 120 years. Now from my vantage point, that's a long life. I have never known anybody that has been blessed to live on planet Earth, I'm talking personally speaking, never known anybody to have lived to be 120, the brevity of his life. 
It's interesting to me that in Psalm 90, and I believe Moses wrote the 90th Psalm, Moses talked about the eternal nature of Almighty God. But then he talked about the brevity of our life. He said we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. And he said our life is accompanied by labor and sorrow. He says soon cut off and we fly away. So the brevity of life. Moses lived for 120 years. That was a good run. But as the Bible says, he died. Whether we realize it or not, we're all moving closer to that day of our own death. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to read about death. We don't like to think about death. But it is a reality. At some point in time, the train will stop and we're going to have to get off, whether we like it or not. So we read about the brevity of his life and then his burial after life. Note, if you would, what the record says. The text tells us in verse 6 that God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. You know, one of the things that happens when we lose a loved one is we have to take care of the remains, don't don't we? At some point in time, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And following our decease, our loved ones are going to have to make some decisions about our burial unless we pre-plan our funeral. They're going to have to decide Are we going to be buried? Are we going to to be cremated? Decisions have to be made. Somebody, sometime, is going to make a decision about your burial or your your cremation. You're going to leave this world. Moses left this world. And God buried him. But then, note if you would, not only do we read about, not only do we read about the tenure of Moses, but the Bible speaks of the tears. The tears over this great man, Moses. Note what the record says in verse 7. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor abated or reduced. When I see Moses at 120, I see a man with a lot of strength, a lot of youthfulness. And the text says in verse 8, The children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab. Thirty days... So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now, when you die, will anyone shed tears over your death? You ever thought about that? Will there be people who are sad to see you go? You think your children will cry when you die? 
Do you think your grandchildren will weep when you leave this world? As a friend, when you leave planet Earth, will people, will they weep over you? When I was 20 years of age, a close friend of mine died who was 19. Very tragic, sudden. When I heard about his death, it was like a bolt of lightning. He died on a Friday evening. We had his funeral service the following Monday or Tuesday. I don't recall the exact day. But I remember going to the funeral home and viewing his body in the casket. And it's almost as if it's surreal. This isn't happening. But he's gone. As we made our way to the cemetery, and you need to understand, I, when, I, when I picture that day in my mind, it was in November, it was raining, it was miserable. Horrible day for a funeral. And we are out under this tent, and all of his friends and family members, and I remember, I remember my buddy's daddy sitting in a chair before that casket, and he was inconsolable, cried like a baby. Had that been your boy, you would have cried too. That's been a long time ago, but I haven't forgotten it. Think about him often. When you leave this world, will people weep over you? Moses left a void in this life. Now we often talk about how everybody is replaceable, and I get that. But when Moses died, there was a void. When you die, will there be a void in your family? Will there be a void in the congregation where you're a member? Let's just say you're a member here and you die. Will other people have to pick up the slack because you're gone now? You think about here is the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, and he's gone. And there was a tremendous void. When you die, there'll be a void. I remember when my buddy died. We were at that time, and I was in college at, at that point in time in life, but there were a bunch of us who worked at the coke plant. We loaded trucks. I was a forklift driver. He was a forklift driver. And we loaded 40 or 50 trucks every night. And oftentimes as kids, and you know how kids are, we would race. Who could load the trucks the fastest? But I remember that night you could have heard a pin drop. Usually, we were laughing and cutting up and talking and screaming, not a sound. All you heard was a forklift and those pallets being dropped into the bays of the trucks. I can't tell you how many times I saw the back of another fellow's head on a forklift and I thought about my buddy. Looked just like him. He's gone. There's a void.
will there be a void when you die? Not only a void, but there was a victory. Moses departed this world victorious, didn't he? Didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 119, or rather Psalm 116 and about verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Isn't that what the psalmist said? You know, when you think about stepping out into eternity, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. To know that when we step outside of this veil of existence, we are in the presence of God. Here was a man that knew God, as the record says, face to face. But now he is in the presence of God. He's gone home, hasn't he? When you die in Christ Jesus, you die a winner, don't you? We talk about winners and losers. If people die outside of Christ, they lose lose everything. But if you die in Christ Jesus, you die victorious. Listen to what the record says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. Here was a man that was at home with God. He was victorious. And you know, we talk about, we talk about going home to be with God. For some of us, it might be sooner rather than later, if you know what I mean. We might be closer to eternity than we think. I read a story this past week of a fellow who was asked to preach at a penitentiary. When he arrived at the penitentiary, he was afforded the opportunity to go into the auditorium where he would be speaking. It was a rather large auditorium. He noticed down front there were two seats draped with black sheets. The warden said, the two men who are going to be sitting in these seats, they're going to be put to death this week. Preacher got to thinking about what he was going to say. Rethought his lesson. And the point driven home to him on that occasion, the urgency of the message. These men are going to be in eternity in just a few days. I've got to say something that's going to make a difference in their lives. This might be your last Sunday. You might laugh and say, not a chance. Maybe not. But I can tell you right now, I have conducted funerals for people who were in the pew Sunday morning, and the next Sunday morning, guess what? They're cold in a cemetery. Don't think you can't leave this world. What about the reputation of Moses the lawgiver? I want to call your attention to a couple of thoughts here. Number one, Moses was the servant of the Lord. Listen to verse 5 if you would. In verse 5 the text says, So Moses the servant of the Lord. 
When you die, will people step back and say, you know what, he or she was a servant of the Lord. Is there a greater compliment? Here was a man of God, wasn't he? Moses was a man. Are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? When Paul wrote to Timothy, and Timothy was a young preacher, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, but you, O man of God, Moses was a servant of the Lord. As a servant of the Lord, he is identified as a man of God. That's special, isn't it? When you leave this world, you want to leave, you want to leave this world, and the legacy you leave behind is he or she was a servant of God. He was a man of God. She was a woman of God. If you're not a man of God or a woman of God, you're not ready to leave this world. You're not ready to leave. You can't afford to die. You step outside this veil of existence, outside of Christ Jesus, listen to Paul, you have no hope. You're without God in this world. You don't have one plea. I talked a minute ago about the books, the laws of our land. We may dismiss the laws of our land. We may turn a blind eye to injustices and violations of the law, but I'm here to tell you, God in heaven doesn't operate like that. If you're not a servant of God, if you're not faithful to God, you're lost. Let that sink in a minute. You know what it means to be lost? No hope? Do you remember those people 9-11-2001 when those planes hit the towers do you remember how many people were hanging out those windows crying for help pleading for help there were people on the rooftop pleading for people to save them some of those people jumped to their death jumped from a burning building to the pavement. No hope. My friend, if you die outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. You have none. You need to understand that. I don't want you to leave here thinking everything's a-okay when it's not. Moses was a man of God and he was a messenger of God, wasn't he? He was faithful to God. Listen to what the text says, verse 10. There has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Moses was the great lawgiver of Almighty God. Moses penned the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Moses was used by God. He was a man of God, and he was a messenger of God. So he was the servant of the Lord, but note if you would, his successor in the Lord. Now I said a minute ago, when Moses died, there was a void. But don't think for a minute that God did not have somebody ready 
to stand in his place and assume his responsibility. That man was Joshua. And I want to ask you right now, as you look around and you think about as older brothers and sisters, as they step out into eternity, who's going to take their place? Who's going to rise up and fill their shoes? That does not happen by accident. You've got to prepare for it, don't you? Are you preparing yourself to serve in the kingdom right now? Are you qualifying yourself one day to be a deacon in the Lord's church? Or to be an elder in the church of our Lord? That does not happen by accident. It takes a lot of work. It takes dedication. We need men, we need women today who are stepping up and who are ready and willing to fill that void. Moses had a success, God had a successor in place, didn't he? When I came to Olive Branch in 2007, I came with the expectation that I'd do my best to preach and teach. Sometimes we talk about interim preachers. In reality, I am an interim preacher. Why is that? Because I'm not going to be here forever. Somebody was here before me. Somebody will be here after me. It's just a fact. Why is that? Because I'm not going to live forever, am I? So you think about his successor. Joshua was mentored by Moses. In verse 9, the text tells us, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded him. Very quickly. Moses writes in the book of Exodus that he was his assistant. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is identified as the assistant of Moses. Learned from the best, didn't he? Mentored by him. So Joshua was mentored by Moses, and Joshua was the man who followed Moses. I want you to see something very quickly. Look at Joshua chapter 1, then we're going to close. In Joshua chapter 1, in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Imagine getting that, getting that memo. Moses, my servant, is dead. All right, Joshua, what do I need from you? Here it is. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving you. All right, Joshua, here's your job. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to assume this mantle of leadership, and I want you to lead the children of God into the promised land. Here's my question. Was Joshua up for the task? You know the answer. Yes, he was. So you look at the life of Moses. For Moses, it's time to go home. You know, one day, one day, as I said a minute ago, the train's going to stop. 
when the train stops, we're going to have to get off. And I would hope and pray that when that train stops, we're ready to go home. The Bible says that the ancient patriarchs of the past, they look for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Is that your home? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You need to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess the name of Jesus before others as the eunuch did, Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. God will put you in the church and then be faithful. And at death, the Lord will welcome you home. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be, could I encourage you to come home? We would be willing to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.